Hey, Al McCoy here, and you are listening to the Solar Panel, the Phoenix Sun Show. And welcome to the Phoenix Suns Solar Panel Podcast. Joining us today, of course, we always have Mr. Dave King. Greg Esposito should be here in theory. Uh, He hasn't joined yet the podcast, but we're assuming he will. So we're just going to roll with this. What's up, Dave? Oh, not much. How are you doing? I like you wearing rocking the solar panel t-shirt right there. (laughs) You know, I actually had on uh, a different t-shirt today. And then I remembered that I got uh, yelled at by some people last week for not for not wearing it. So I thought, you know what? I'll go ahead and put it on this week. There you go. It looks good. Yeah. Thanks, man. So we got a lot to talk about today. I do hope that Greg joins, but if he doesn't, it's not the end of the world. Uh, so Dave, we <laughs> I was doing a bit of stat research uh, ahead of the show because we have this new segment that we're doing uh, where we're going to break down different advanced stats, yada, yada, yada. Uh, anyway, while I was doing the stat research, I found out uh, that Devin Booker right now for the Phoenix Suns is 17th all time in total points scored around 5,820. So this points. total points, right? So that means this year he will likely actually go all the way up to 12th where he's going to be passing Connie Hawkins, Jeff Hornacek, Leandro Barbosa, and Charles Barkley, landing him just behind Tom Chambers and Dan Marley, uh, uh, for the 12 spot likely by the end of the season, if he stays injury free. Hey, so he might be top 12 before he uh, makes a trade demand. Is that what you're saying? <laughs> I don't think he's going to be making a trade demand this year, but <laughs> I didn't realize he was so high up on the list though. Well, you know, uh, we say, you know, we keep reminding everybody he's only 22 years old and all that, but uh, he has been uh, with the franchise for four full seasons and uh, the way the NBA is so transient, it's hard for a player to actually stay with any one team longer than that. So good for him. He's also a pretty good scorer. <laughs> he was in the top 10 scores last season. Uh, he, I, I think he was fifth or sixth, but he was the only player within the top 13 that was under 23 years old. It really is incredible. I, I, I just can't wait for this season to, to put some competent players around him for the first time. As uh, since he's become a centralized figure in the Suns' office uh, in the Suns' offense, um, so I'm really, really looking forward to seeing how when every game does uh, matter because it's competitive, how how much better he actually is seen around the league because he's been great for years. Yeah, what's funny? I was listening to a national media podcast the other day, and they were referring to bleak teams. You know, the the Suns aren't actually a bleak team. They aren't like the Charlotte Hornets, for example. You know, they have Devin Booker. And I thought, yeah, it's 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 almost cool that people kind of realize he's on the team. And then I also thought to myself, do they all just forget about DeAndre Ayton? Like, he doesn't exist as a player. Like, the Suns didn't have the number one overall draft pick last season. And the guy averaged like 17 and 11. And he was actually really good. There just happened to be a storyline uh, behind Luka Doncic. And at the very end of the season, Trey Young. Like, well, DeAndre well, Ayton's National media falls in love with with creators. They create their own shots. That's why guards always get the biggest uh, recognitions and, and um, the shot creating forwards and all that. It's just not common for a player who is is totally dependent on receiving the ball in in a in a spot where he can do something with it. Actually, Kelly Oubre is going to get more exposure than DeAndre Ayton this year, I believe. 
Yeah, I mean, that's that's probably right. Um, so, you know, we talked a bit about over the last couple of episodes, there's just also this narrative that uh, the Phoenix Suns had to overpay, if you will, uh, to get Ricky Rubio. And there was a really interesting article that came out. Yes. So uh, we just posted an article this morning, actually Saturday morning on Brightside uh, that Jim Kokenauer, one of our longtime contributors who last year actually um, and in prior years has mostly been our, our our negative person around the team for good reason. The dude's been writing, uh, contributing for a website uh, for a bad team for years. And this year might be bad as well. Uh, but let's stop with the R Ricky Rubio was overpaid narrative. So Jim went through an entire uh, research paper basically on looking at all the salaries of all the point guards in the league and basically ricky rubio is one of the lowest paid regular starting point guards in the entire league when you compare it to percentage of the salary cap when he was signed uh and when you compare it to how much he's making now and making this year I, the guy is anywhere from uh 19th to 24th depending on your metric on where you're going to rank uh, a starting point guard and Ricky Rubio is definitely at least that good in the NBA, if not a ton better as a point guard than uh, 19th to 24th best starting point guard. And the, just looking at this year alone, the salaries that that point guards are making, um, Ricky Rubio is at well, his average salary, his annual average is $17 million. So if you look at the annual average salary of all the point guards in the league, uh, he's only 19th. He's behind Dragic and Bledsoe. Um, shout out to history here. He's behind Dennis Schroeder. He's behind Terry Rozier. Scary Terry. He's behind Jeff Teague uh, and a bunch of other guys. That And there are a lot of guys he deserves to be behind because he is not one of the very best point guards in the league. But he's also not one of the worst. And so you've got to give him a little bit, you got to give the Suns a little bit of credit for paying at or below market actually for a starting caliber point guard. You may not love the fit if you're somebody who loves um, only shooting in your point guard. Sure, you may not love the fit, but you can't argue that he is paid too little. Uh some of the some of the comments too much you mean made, you can't you can't sorry you can't argue that he was paid too much. Right. Um some of the comps that Jim was making is is even even a guy like uh, Reggie Jackson. Reggie Jackson, sure, makes a little bit less than Ricky Rubio, but at the time Reggie Jackson was signed, his contract was twenty three percent of the of the of the Thunder's cap. Reggie Jackson, whereas Ricky Rubio is just under seventeen percent of the Suns' cap this year. So you just gotta you gotta give the Suns a little bit of credit for signing a guy at a real regular market rate. And stop saying he was overpaid for that fifty-one million dollar contract. Right, and the whole the whole narrative that the uh, Phoenix Suns had to overpay to get Ricky Rubio just it, it's not accurate. I mean, you know, to your point or to Jim's point, he's the nineteenth uh, highest paid starting point guard in just pure salary average across his contract. Yeah, right, right. And it, most people would argue that Ricky Rubio is between the the twelfth and the fifteenth best point guard starting point guard in the nba so he so wasn't overpaid what's also contributed to ricky rubio losing a little bit of his luster uh since his years in minnesota well first of all he started out being a darling and he was going to do the next great thing probably potentially even the next great steve steve nash type when he was real young 
in Minnesota, he didn't, he couldn't make even layups sometimes. And so that was a real, real trouble for him. And Minnesota never won more than I believe 40, 42 games with him as the starting point guard with Kevin Love as the power forward. And Minnesota had trouble putting a team around those guys. Um, so then Rubio was traded to Utah when Utah wanted to make the playoffs. But Utah's offense is very, very catch and catch and pass, catch and pass, catch and pass. Um, and you know what? Monty Williams is is preaching that a little bit, but he's also preaching that he's going to feature Ricky Rubio in his offense. He's going to give the ball to Ricky Rubio and let Ricky Rubio make the Suns look a little bit better. So whereas in Utah, it was very um, – I don't know if the right word is egalitarian, but it's very, very, everyone gets a little bit of, gets a little bit of touches. But I'll tell you what, Rudy Gobert would not look nearly as good if he didn't have Ricky Rubio feeding him the ball a lot. Um, Donovan Mitchell is not a great passer. So it was Ricky Rubio getting the ball into making Rudy Gobert, who doesn't have a lot of touch, look like a good post guy. It was Ricky Rubio who made Nikola Pekovic a ton of money. Uh, and uh, that that's just a it's a good point guard to have. So and he's not overpaid, which is how you started this segment, Tim. <laughs> I'm looking at the YouTube comments. Steve Holler said that I should change my glasses every time the screen goes to Dave. I actually think that's really funny. And <laughs> next week I'll do it. Also, just uh, line them up on your desk. Right. Uh, at the end of the episode, too, we're going to do about 10 minutes of listener questions. So if you guys have uh, good listener questions on the YouTube chat, get those in right now. I'm taking note of them, and then we're going to answer those at the end. Uh, speaking of the Jazz, I don't want to spend too long in this, but I found it interesting that the Jazz were 0-7 last season in games decided by three points or less. Wow. All right. Well, what do you think is the context of that? Is Donovan Mitchell, man. Everybody's saying that dude's clutch. Uh -huh. He ain't clutch. Um, yeah, so we could go into a long rant on Donovan Mitchell. Uh, and basically, the the only takeaway that I want to have on Donovan Mitchell is Donovan Mitchell was put around a really competent team, and that helped him focus on his strengths. So let's see what happens with the Suns young guys being put around a competent team. I just can't I can't express how how happy I am. Some guy just just tweeted the other day, and then I added a little bit of my own research to it. Um, in the in Ryan McDonough's entire tenure as general manager of the Phoenix Suns, how many guys did he bring onto the team that had previously started at least one playoff game? What do you think, Tim? Uh, in five, many? six off seasons of acquisitions, how many people? And he went through, uh, gosh, it, that, that started or played. I'm sorry, that started or played. Started. Uh, Best guess. Three. Four, actually. So you even went a little low. So um, Jared Dudley. Yep. Tyson Chandler. Yep. Trevor Ariza. Yep. Oh, Barbosa? I was thinking yeah, Barbosa. Yeah. Leandro was, Barbosa. I was, see, I was thinking, yeah. I, I thought that he came off the bench uh, in those playoffs. Yeah, he games. must have started at least one. Uh, right. So there was four guys. You know what? We may have the fourth one wrong, but here's the point six off seasons to build a roster and Ryan McDonough brought in four guys who had ever started a playoff game before. And three of them were 32 or older. Well, to be fair, the Suns were also uh, taking the 76ers process route to they building were. a team during, during Ryan McDonough's tenure. So uh, that probably sure. had something to do with it. Sure, sure, sure. But the last two years, 
weren't we all really, really, really sure that culture was part of the problem? Yeah. Right? Well, you know, remember learning how, learning how to play a game of basketball, right? So, so now let me ask, let me, let me ask you a different question. How many in his, in his, uh, 10 months on the job, James Jones took over in October of 2018 as the GM. And now it is July of 2019. So let's say that's nine months, nine months as the general manager. How many guys has James Jones brought in to this roster that is on the roster right now that started at least one playoff game in their career? That is on. Well, let's see. The last season, the Suns had 24 players. Uh, this, this current roster, how many on this current roster have started at least one playoff game in their career? Three. Would you believe seven? I'll go through. I'm going to do the research and actually put this on Brightside next week to say how many games they actually each started. But you've got Tyler Johnson, Darius Saric. He started in the playoffs uh, for two rounds in his second year for Philadelphia. Tyler Johnson uh, started in at least one playoff, if not two different seasons, I believe, with the Heat. Uh, you've got Aaron Baines, who's been a starter in the playoffs as well. That's uh, that's three right there, right? So Tyler Johnson, Dario Saric, Aaron Baines, Ricky Rubio, of course. You got Frank Kaminsky. So that's five. Kelly Oubre has okay. started in a playoff game as well. And I'm I'm forgetting him at the moment, uh, but that's still so that's already more in nine months that have started at least one playoff game. And the Suns' average age is still only 24 years old on their roster, so they're not bringing in old guys either. These are young guys who started in the playoffs at least once. Okay, and then on the guys he's brought in from college, how many of those guys have at least made the elite eight? Oh, Dave, I have no clue. All like, right. Not Merrill, even. No, just, in this, just in this draft, Cam Johnson was in the Elite Eight last spring. Ty Jerome was in the Elite Eight last spring. Jared Harper was in the Elite Eight last spring. So three more. You are much more of a James Jones fan than you are a Ryan McDonough fan. Um, you know what? I was a running Ryan McDonough fan early too. It's all about wins. What I'm just trying to uh, what I'm trying to do is I'm trying to point out the method behind the madness of what James Jones is doing, whether it translates to wins or not, I have no idea. We don't know yet. We really don't know yet. They could win 19 games again next year. And he's just as much a fool as Ryan McDonough. He's just doing it differently. Ryan McDonough brought in guys who don't know how to play basketball and hope they would learn how to play basketball. James Jones is bringing in guys with a little bit lower ceilings on them, but they know how to play basketball. We're sponsored by Bright Side of the Sun, and by sponsor, they don't actually give us a penny. Go to brightsideofthesun.com for all the latest solar panel episodes. Mr. Espo is joining us. He should be on in just a minute, guys. Thank you, everybody, so much for continuing to watch and support us here on the YouTube show. And I do want to take a moment to thank a listener who has decided to support the show with a monthly donation. Shout out to Brian Stewart. He does a $10 
a month donation. Anybody that decides that they do want to help and support the show, if you do the $10 option, I will personally send you some sun swag. Uh, even the $1 option helps a ton because I really want a new mic. As you guys can tell, this thing kind of uh, sounds like trash. Um, there's $5 one, and I'd probably send you some swag with that too. Anyway, if you want to support the show, if you're listening on the podcast, open up the show notes, hit the support the show button. Otherwise, on the YouTube, that is in the description below. So thank you so much to Brian Stewart for being such a strong supporter of the Phoenix Suns Solar Panel Podcast. Yep, thank you. That guy's been a longtime supporter all around. Uh, so we're doing this series uh, throughout the rest of the summer. We're essentially going to break down some advanced stats, and some of the stats are going to be a bit more advanced than other ones. Uh, but there was one that I've really been looking forward to doing, and so this week we are going to do free throw rate or free throw attempt rate, and we're going to break down exactly what that is and give you some context as to some of the league averages uh, and how this relates to specific Suns players. So what a free throw rate is or free throw, free throw attempt rate is, is the number of three free throws per field goal attempt. League average last year was 19.8%. That means for every 100 shots taken, a team shot just below um, 20 free throws on those 100 shots taken. Uh, the last two seasons, actually, in the NBA had the lowest average free throw attempt rate since they began tracking it back in mm. 1973. Wow. Any idea why we think it got lower? Because it yeah. sure seems like uh, there's a lot of ticky-tack fouls out there. Uh, threes go up, right? That's so uh, yep. about 90% 90, 90 of uh, free throws are on uh, a shot attempt yes. and five feet of the basket, right? So of the guys who played meaningful minutes last year with the Phoenix Suns, that's or meaningful games, so that's at least 40 games with the Phoenix Suns, uh, in terms of who had the best free throw attempt rate, you had Rashawn Holmes at 48%, Devin Booker at 36%, Kelly Oubre at 30%, and Dragan Bender at 27%. Among all players on the Phoenix Suns roster, and the Suns had 24 players last season play for them, uh, Aiton was 13th on the team uh, at around 22%. Well, yeah. And you know what? I didn't have time to look it up before, so I'm going to do another dumbass rambling where I'm not prepared. But... I do recall doing some research a couple of months ago. Um, most of the league's big men who get to the free throw line, um, their worst year was their rookie year because they just don't know how to draw the fouls yet. So I'd really like us to give Aiden one more year. I think the most likely uh, point of improvement for DeAndre Aiden this year is getting himself to the free throw line. The guy does not – he's not TJ Warren or Martian Gortat where – they would actively contort their body to avoid contact so they could make an uncontested, so they could make a clean shot even in, inside five feet of the basket. DeAndre Ayton doesn't do that. He doesn't do contortionism to avoid contact. He just never got the ball in the right positions to get contact and to finish. Um, and he is pretty athletic. I mean, uh, Amari Stoudemire finished a lot of shots too without having to, having to get to the free throw line. So um, I guess what I'm saying is I would not be surprised if DeAndre Ayton almost doubles his free throw attempt rates this year, uh, but we won't know until we actually see it. I did do some research, and at least like Anthony Davis and guys like that, uh, they almost drew no free throws there. For, and Carl Anthony Towns is another example. He barely got to the free throw line as a rookie, but then since then he's been a pretty pretty big regular. All right, so let's talk about Devin Booker and his free throw attempt rate. Uh, every single – season that he's been in the league he has improved his uh, free throw attempt rate his rookie season 15 16 uh 29 
16, 17, 30%, 17, 18, 31%. And again, last season, uh, 36%. And so I want to compare this to a few guys around the league that are comps for better or for worse for Devin Booker a lot of the time. One is James Harden. His his career free throw rate is 53%, which is just wild. Um, even his his rookie year, it was like 40-something percent. I'm like, that's, that's just insane. It's actually last season was his worst uh, free throw attempt rate uh, of his entire career at right around 45%. Uh, so I also want to compare that to Bradley Beal. So Bradley Beal, we all know he had a great season last year. Uh, he's also just been kind of a quality shooting guard in the league and somebody that a lot of national media are saying he is the most likely quote unquote star to be moved uh, this season. His career free throw rate, 23%. And last year he actually had his best career free throw rate at 29%. Yeah, absolutely. Devin Booker it gets to the line a ton, and we should appreciate it. We don't get a chance to appreciate it because of all the losing. I did a little bit of my own research, not nearly as good as yours, Tim. Very good job on that. Uh, but I just did a quick basketball reference search for single seasons like last year of guys who um, are big guards or uh, guard forwards and scored at least 20 points a game and started at least half the games in the year, just so I could narrow it down to starting wing players, basically is what I did for the most part with this query on basketball reference. And Devin Booker had the eighth highest free throw attempt rate in the league for that criteria. The guys ahead of him are guys like Giannis, James Harden, Blake Griffin, Luka Doncic, LeBron James, Kawhi Leonard, and Kevin Durant. So that's a pretty that's really really good company that Devin Booker's is getting to the free throw line at at a rate that that is only behind those guys. Let alone that he is a guard. Right, most of those guys are much much bigger than than uh, Devin Booker. So definitely yes, uh, behind him are Demar Derozan, Paul George, Zach Levine, Bradley Beal. Tobias Harris, D'Angelo Russell is all the way down at 13%, and Clay Thompson is down at 11% of drawing fouls. So way, 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 way behind. And uh, so Devin Booker, yes, he's in very elite company among wing players. Oh, hold on, hold on. Slow clap here. Slow clap here, everybody. And if you're watching on the YouTube, slow clap. Look who is joining us on today's episode, Mr. Greg Esposito. Did we get through all the analytics stuff so I don't have to talk about that? That was really yes. the plan here. So <laughs> it's actually oh, I don't know, man. We're right in the middle of it. This is this is what happens when you have a two-year-old and you let her mess around with your phone, and that's your primary source of alarms as well, is that all of a sudden you don't wake up because there's no alarm on your phone. So, <laughs> so you're right. you're blaming a two-year-old. Damn straight. <laughs> Whatever you gotta do, man. So listen, on, on today's episode, the, the major topic we really wanted to touch on, which I'm glad that you finally decided to grace us with your presence for, is what will it take for the Suns to be a 500 team last season? Now, to start this off, I looked at the, the 500 teams. Well, it, it's impossible for them to be 500 last season. So let's just say right. next season. Right. So, <laughs> so what did it take last season? And can the Suns emulate that this season? So last year, mm -hmm. um, the only teams that were really right around 500 were the Nets, Magic, and Pistons. And the closest in the West was the Kings at 39 and 43. 
Right. So what it would take is a huge jump, obviously, in the win total for the Suns. So how and I did a I did a quick analysis on Brightside yesterday, just to just as one part of a segue. I know you had other things to talk about in this realm, and we do have a lot to talk about in this realm. But one one point of reference is how many teams in the NBA can actually improve by so much that uh, they get a plus twenty wins. Right, because that's what the Suns would have to do. Even a plus twenty only gets the Suns to thirty-nine wins next year. So yeah, so it's going to be a little difficult for the Suns to get up to five hundred. And so I just wanted to give historical context, at least for last year. I, I did look it up for last season, and it does look like it's going to be um, difficult for the Suns to get there. Last year, there was only a handful of teams that actually had a plus nine. Uh, year over year in win totals. And there were only a couple of teams that went even even bigger than that on on jumping ahead. So it's it's uh, gosh, I'm trying to find my research. Oh, I pulled up the wrong article. Hey, Greg, you missed missed like five minutes earlier of the same exact thing happening when Dave was talking. It was it was fantastic. So really, I missed nothing on this episode so far. All right. You want my answer? It's going to take a minor, not a minor. It's going to take a major miracle for this team to finish 500. Look, at least I did some damn research. Okay, so last year, the Kings were a plus 12. The Cinderella Kings were a plus 12 on wins. The Grizzlies were a plus 11, uh, driven by Mike Conley basically deciding his team wasn't going to be a 21 team. And the Mavericks, who were plus nine. In the West, Orlando was plus 17, and the Brooklyn Nets were plus 14. The only team that had 20-plus win change year over year last year was the Milwaukee Bucks. Uh, so taking a look at the teams that were uh, uh, right around 500, they were all at least plus five at home. And the worst road record for any time for any team 500 or better was the Pistons at 15, 15 and 26. Uh, by all means, the majority of teams were that were around 500 were also around 500 on the road. Also in games decided by three or less points, only two of the top 16 teams that were at least 500 or better didn't have losing records. Last season, in games decided by three or less points, the Suns were 5-5. Five and five. Here's my favorite stat, though. In games decided by 10 or more points, the Suns were 5-40. and 40. And they lost by 40 <laughs> points in most of those. It, look, I, what, I think what it's really going to take is you're going to have to close to sweep the Eastern Conference and – uh, in, in all your matchups with them. I mean, it just because the Western Conference is that hard, and I just do not expect them to rack up major amounts of wins there. So you're going to have to look at, okay, there's uh, two games each against uh, against the Eastern teams. You're going to have to win, uh, you know, 28, 29 of those 30 games to actually have a chance at, at finishing 500 because I just I, – where are you going to stack up the wins in the West? Who are you going to well, beat, uh, beat on a regular basis in the Western Conference to get you to 41 wins? I just, they're yeah. not enough. Yeah, but see, the thing is, it's not that other teams are going to give you wins or the, or whatever. It's it's just the way you have to play the game. And last year, when I did this research, only six there were 16 teams who ended up with at least one more win than they had the year before. 
And that means there were 14 teams who regressed. And in the West, there were several teams who went backwards a little bit. I mean, the Mavericks were plus nine last year. The, uh, you know, there were, there was three teams in the West who had at least a nine win difference year over year before the season started. You would have said the same thing last year, that it's impossible to get a lot of wins against the West, but it just happens. Things, people, uh, teams regress to the mean a little bit. Uh, and, and you do pick up your wins. So I don't, I don't know that they need to, but that's, that's Greg's call. Greg's call is you got to kill the East in order to get close to 500. I totally I can totally see that being necessary for sure. And then Tim totally was saying get regression. I totally get regression though, Dave, like you're, you're going to, there will be teams in the West that fall back more, more to that middle. And I, I think if, if you're going to beat Western conference teams, you're going to have to do it early in the schedule because you're likely going to catch them by surprise in a lot of cases as well, because you'll be playing that much better than what people expect you to be. Uh, there's there's a lot of factors, but 22 win, a 22 win improvement is very, very, very difficult. And we've only yeah. seen it, I think, twice yeah. <laughs> in Suns history where they they improved that much. Which year might that be? I believe it was the 88-89 year, right after the drug scandal year, and then it was that first uh, McDonough year where they uh, where they won the 48 games. I oh, you missed the big one in the middle. Was it a big one in the middle? I yeah, Steve Nash's first year, man. Oh, yeah, that one as well. That You're correct. I forgot that. Well, they've got about three. Well. Not three out of 50 years. That's a pretty good percentage. I mean, you know, why not? Let's roll it again. Two out of those three, they had an MVP that season. <laughs> or not an MVP candidate, uh, you know, and, and an MVP in that. Uh, Devin Booker. I mean, hey, uh, weirder things have happened, right? I yeah, mean, yeah, no, no. I, 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 this whole thing is a thought exercise. I want to make it clear to the folks listening. I don't any of us think that the Suns can approach 500. My question was simply a thought exercise for us to discuss today of what would it actually take? And you guys are are talking about how difficult it would be. Absolutely, but let's just say that the Suns actually got to 40 wins, 42, 41 wins this next year. What would that look like? What would what would the makeup of the team? What would the performance? Who would have to jump out? And we're not talking the the easy trade for a superstar um, with this current roster. What would have had to have happened on the team within the roster? Okay, so I have three major stats that the Suns would need to dramatically or at least marginally improve in on each one in order to become a 500 team. And again, this is at comparing the 500 teams or better from last season. So uh, let's talk about rebounding first. Last season, the Suns were at a 20% offensive rebounding rate. In order to be close to 500, they need to be at around 23%. Their defensive rebounding rate was 70%. In order to be close to 500, they would need to be around 75%. Are the uh, uh, changes on the roster this season inducive to the to the Suns being able to improve their offensive rebounding rate by three percent and their defensive rebounding rate by five percent. Well, I'll definitely say the defensive rebounding rate is going to improve. Last year, uh, we all know very very well that the Suns did not actually have a real power forward, a starting caliber power forward on their team. They just didn't. And this year, uh, where, where the guy who doesn't get enough credit doesn't uh, doesn't get enough talk in the offseason simply because. 
uh, the nature of, of he came from the Eastern Conference for the most part and then had one um, uh, stretch with the Minnesota Timberwolves. You've got Dario Sharge who's coming in, who's actually a legit quality power forward. I compared him to our prior power forwards in history for the Suns and Sharge uh, since Amari Stoudemire retired or actually, well, he left to go to New York, but it was after a year or two, he basically retired. Um, and what happened there is that since then, you've had Channing Fry, Luis Scola, Markeith Morris, Marquise Chris, and TJ Warren as the primary power forwards on the team. Last year, especially TJ Warren being the most played starting power forward on the team until he got injured for the last 33 games. So long story short is the Suns are going to improve because they had guys who just don't rebound playing power forward. So even though DeAndre Ayton had a, had a relatively historic rookie season, especially in the rebounding department for rookie big man, um, he was on an island. And this year he won't be on such a such an island. Okay, well, let's talk about turnovers. In order for the Suns to be around 500, they need to cut their turnovers, uh, get them down to about 13 a game. Last last season, they averaged 15.6. Can the Suns cut their turnovers by 2.6 turnovers total per game this upcoming season? I think there's a chance because Ricky Rubio will help you uh, in that somewhat. And the fact that you're not playing... Uh, the poo-poo platter of uh, of point guards that you had will will help, and then uh, having Sarich at power forward also uh, will help too. You've got experience on this roster now, which changes things uh, a bit. So I don't think I think that one is is maybe easier than the rebounding. To be honest, I, I think I think that will dramatically be cut down just by the IQ of player on this roster uh, compared to what was here in the previous few years. Yeah. I'm less, I'm, I'm a little more skeptical. I'll take the opposite tack from you, Greg. Um, I don't think the turnovers are going to go down. Uh, Ricky Rubio does have some turnovers. Darius Arch is actually uh, has a few more turnovers than you would think. Um, it's, I don't think that's going to be the stat that they're going to be better in. Okay. So let's talk about uh, defense. A bit. Let's talk about what the Suns need to hold their opponents to in terms of three-point percentage. League average three-point percentage being right around 35%. Last season, the Suns held opponents to 37% uh, from the three-point line, which was good for 28th in the league. Can they improve that down to league average at 35% given the changes, adjustments on the roster? I think this is another tough one because... The roster got better, but did it get that much better defensively? Because you're still looking at, uh, you know, Devin Booker being a major part of, of what you're trying to do, DeAndre Ayton, where, where he won't have a huge impact on, on three-point percentage, but he still has major question marks defensively. Uh, can Monty Williams get enough out of these guys in, in just scheming and team de- defense? To cut it down, I think this one's going to take a, a lot of effort for them to uh, to drop their opponent's three point percentage by uh, by two percent or more. Um, yeah, I, we don't know what the defensive scheme is going to look like. We can hope it's better than 29th in the league overall. Uh, we can hope that. Uh, so here's what I'm going to go back to. It's it's not going to be necessarily on scheming. It's going to be on the mentality, the comfort level of the Suns' opponents. 
So hopefully this year the games will be closer. If the games are closer, the opponent won't be as comfortable and they won't make as many threes. I just that's the only way it's going to happen is is that you've got people outside their comfort zone. Um, uh, as as the games get tighter, shooters get worse. Attitude might uh, might help too because Kelly Oubre, we saw the the mentality shift in in games that he was in. So that there may. There may be a way for for them to look better defensively, even though the the parts don't suggest that they're that much better defensively. So I hold out hope that we'll see something. But Dave, I think you're right. It will uh, potentially come down to our opponents having to take tougher threes simply because the game's not a 20 point blowout. So there's some pressure on them actually taking the shot. All right. So let's uh, let's talk about offense. The Suns need to have at least three players that are hitting two threes or more per game. Last season, the Suns only had one. You had Devin Booker that was hitting 2.1 three-pointers a game. You had Oubre and TJ Warren who came in uh, respectively at 1.8 and 1.9 apiece. Uh, I think this one's easy. I think you're going to get Booker, Sarich, maybe even Kaminsky depending on the the number of minutes he's going to play, hitting uh, you know close to closer or more than than two a game. And I think we're going to see Devin Booker's output from beyond the arc uh, become immensely larger, be, simply because the ball won't be in his hand primarily. So Rubio will be able to get him better looks from outside the arc as well. Yeah, I definitely think Dario Sharch can be somebody who can who can who can make you two threes a game. I would I would slightly change that. Tim, just in my own opinion, not not that it's any better or worse, uh, but I would say team uh, three-point attempts need to go up and team three-point percentage needs to go up. You've got a lot of players who can shoot better, but uh, they they may all rotate so much because we the team really is now 10 or 11 deep without any real stars on it besides Booker and Aiton who are going to get 30 two, 33, 34 plus minutes. There's going to be a lot of in and outs, but I can easily see Mikel Bridges becoming a 40% shooter this year. I can definitely see Dara Sharj hitting high thirties. I can see Frank Kamitsky hitting high thirties. And, and that is going to help a ton on this team's ability to open up the floor. I'm going to go out, out on a limb and say, I think Aiton even stretches his range this year and may take a few. Now, I don't think it'll be a high percentage, but uh, but I think it'll take a few. Dave, I thought you were just going to say they have to increase attempts, and I was going to say, why did they let Jimmer Fredette go then? Uh, yeah. you, know, yeah. <laughs> you know what was funny is Jimmer didn't even take a ton of threes. I know. He, he like did even... weird, just weird, weird stuff. I don't even, I don't even get what Jimmer was doing. <laughs> Sorry, had had to throw that out there. Jimmer, I, I, Jimmer was selling tickets. That's what Jimmer was doing. He didn't even do that. Let's be honest. Yeah. Was, <laughs> was like, was man, so... I really need to see Jimmer for that ten years after that meant something. Well, <laughs> they they tried. So I used to throw concerts for a living uh, from the age of around eighteen to thirty, and this reminds me of a time in which I booked a Marcy Playground. Uh, well, sex and candy, baby. Yeah, yeah, well, 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 after their prime, and it came as a shock to me the amount of people that don't come out to a show to see a band play one song that was popular 15 years before. They didn't play it just over and over for like an hour and a half, like. <laughs> 
I lost like three grand on that show, man. Uh, still less than the amount of money I lost going out to Vegas Summer League. So that's, you know. Wait, so you figured you would sell a lot of tickets because they had an, a hit from back in the day and you actually didn't sell a lot of tickets? That's, Is that what you're saying? That's that's basically what I'm saying. Same with the Sun. Uh, so they uh, had the for that. Hold, on, hold on a second. So you you spent more money on sex and candy in Vegas than on than you made than you uh, lost <laughs> on a band that sung sex and candy. All right, good to know. Close close to three times that. <laughs> so let's let's talk about roster continuity because I think that this is important. This is something we're going to touch on uh, more in later episodes. Also, we have about five minutes before we get to listener questions, so this will kind of wrap it up unless you guys have something you want to dig into here. Roster continuity. No team that had above a 500 record last season that I looked at, and I looked at most of them, not quite all of them, um, had more than 20 guys on their roster. Last season, the Suns had 24. Will the Suns be able to uh, keep their roster continuity closer to that 20-person mark? Yes, and especially if they're winning. If not, and they make a trade, that's the only way I think that the roster continuity might get uh, shaken up where they start to sell off guys that are uh, expiring contracts. But other than that, I don't see the rotating door of of players that, that you had to see at a necessity last year. I think... Uh, I think that number will be in a palatable range for sure. Yeah, it's really, really hard uh, to to imagine the Suns going 22, 24, 26 players deep on 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 players who appear in a game for him this year. It just looks like that this is a much better, more playable roster, even if there's a couple of injuries. I don't see them doing a constant rotation at any one position. In the past few years, you've had – constant rotations at point guard and, and power forward, you know, bringing a race. I mean, how many different end of the bench power forwards did they have to bring in last year just to see if anybody would stick and, and same with point guards in the, in, in all the last few years. So I don't think that's going to happen. I, I agree with Greg. I think the Suns, if they, if they get over 18 players churning through maybe 19, I'll be surprised uh, because they've even got already, they've got like guys like Tariq Owens, um, who won't end up with a full contract for the next year. They're they're topped out at 15 right now, guaranteed contracts, after signing Sheck Diallo. Um, they've got Jalen LeCue, who will be, spend a lot of time in the G League. Um, and they have some two-way – they have a one two-way guys guy and a couple of Exhibit 10 guys coming in for training camp that puts them around 18 players who are going to show up so far to training camp. Um, and those will be the guys who end up in the G League uh, playing a lot of time down there, probably. So I, I just don't see it. I don't see the Suns topping 20 players running through lineups this year. So to close out the segment, one thing that I like to do when I'm looking at a team and trying to make predictions is do more things have to go right than wrong in order to make the outcome the one that you are hoping for, right? Yeah. So if in a perfect world, if they hit in the forties on a win total, there's like a, a thousand things that have to go. Right. Uh, right. Just, and and even if you're looking at just the, the, the major things, they need to improve their offensive and defensive rebounding rate. Yeah, uh, overall, need- I, I really think the Suns need to be a top 10 offense or right around 10. And they have to be around 20 on defense to be about a 500 team. That's the way it is. They're going to get there offensively, not defensively this year. They have to exceed on both ends overall on efficiency. That's about the only way they can do it. And I can imagine it. I just got to see it. 
Hey, I, it, I think it's I think it's even a stretch to think they can get 37, 38, 39. Oh, me I too. Think, yeah, I think low 30s is 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 what realistic is what you're going to likely top out at. And and that's even I mean, we didn't talk about this, but to obviously get to 500, but even to get in that low 30 range, you need Aiton to take a huge step uh, in his in his evolution in terms of. Uh, having that motor constantly and uh, yeah, his stats were, were good last year. He, he had historic. So I don't need to see like a tw- a 10 point a game jump or anything from him, but the, he needs to take that next step. Devin Booker, certain parts of his game, uh, like we talked about his, his three point shooting has to go back to a level that we saw before his defense has to take a next step. Like that's just to get them into the low thirties and let alone get into uh, get into that 500 range. So there, there's just far too many things that have to click exactly to get them to 500. And we've only seen it happen a few times uh, magically uh, where this franchise had to uh, had that big of a jump. So, uh, so before we get to the listener questions, Greg, do you see what shirt I am wearing today? I do, and you can get that shirt at sunshirts.com. You can get all sorts of designs there uh, that we've created, and you can uh, help support the show and uh, make sure that Tim can pay off his Vegas bill and keep his glasses fetish going. We would need to sell a lot of shirts for me to be able to pay off my Vegas bill. In all likelihood, I'm going to be paying that off for about two or three years. (laughs) Hopefully you enjoyed yourself. That I did. (laughs) uh, So really what we're saying is, Buy a few shirts so Tim can uh, afford a Wi-Fi hotspot in whatever uh, place he's going to have to move next because he can't afford that lovely house he's sitting in. <laughs> I so, know, that, that no, damn mortgage, man. Sunshirts.com, you can check them out. Uh, fun designs. We're going to get some new ones in there. Uh, if, if listeners have some ideas, we're happy to throw them in there. Anything but uh, Valley Boys merch. Right. So, <laughs> oh, yeah. so, so yeah. Eh, eh. listen, uh, we're going to answer some listener questions now. Uh, we're going to rotate between someone that some ones that we got on Twitter from some of our regular podcast listeners, as well as here in the YouTube chat as well. By the way, if you're listening to the podcast right now, we do this every Saturday morning at 7 a.m. Arizona time. Feel free to watch the show instead of listening to it. But the first one comes from T-Monk on the YouTube chat. He said, what lineup do you guys see us playing if Booker has a hamstring issue next season? Mm, If Booker's out with a hammy, I'd say your starters are Ricky Rubio and Tyler Johnson. I think Tyler Johnson is a very easy plug-in as far as starting lineup for the Suns next year uh, to back up either Ricky Rubio or Devin Booker as the starter as needed. I think it depends on uh, the evolution of Mikhail Bridges. If Mikhail huh? Bridges yeah. is shooting 40-some-odd, uh, thir- you know, high 30s, high, you know, low 40s from three and, and playing solid defense, I could see him get the call over Tyler Johnson. That's uh, a good point. Yeah, I can I can imagine that as well. What do you think, Tim? Oh, I, 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 it, it depends. I, I kind of am split between you guys on that one. I think that Tyler Johnson uh, is really important, but he's also really important coming off the bench. And I do think that part of this depends on the evolution of Mikel Bridges and uh, really high in Mikel Bridges. So I, yeah. what's best, I don't know, but I think he'll be one of those two guys that would be filling in that spot. Let's be quite honest. If Devin Booker's out with a hammy, it really doesn't matter who replaces him. They're in big mm-hmm. trouble. So. 
Tyler on the YouTube chat, he said, realistically, do you think that Saric, Saric I should say, will be a long-term stay at Power Forward after this season, or do you think he will be a one-year rental for the Suns? Fully depends on how he performs this year. If he comes out and he shoots well from three, rebounds. Uh, yeah, but he's asking you to predict. Uh, I think he... I don't think he is the long-term answer simply because of the way that they set things up. I think they have, I think James Jones, Trevor Buckstein, Jeff Bauer, they have a thought on where they want to go with power forward. And I think there's someone out there either via trade or, or free agency that they have specifically in mind, because if you look at the way they set up expiring contracts, uh, who they signed for, for longer term deals this, uh, this off season, Everything points to power forward is where they might go all in uh, on someone uh, because Rubio solves the point guard position for a longer term. They drafted guys at that spot that will help you figure out what the long-term play is. But power forward was the question mark, and they left themselves with a massive flexibility in terms of financially because you don't need a center, you don't need a small forward. So everything leads me to believe that they have a plan uh, at power forward that isn't likely Sharich, but it might might be if he plays his way into that mode. Absolutely. So their their depth at point guard just to just to give real numbers around that. Greg is absolutely right that the Suns are very flexible um, in their salary cap at the power forward position. They have Dario Sharich who makes about three and a half million on an expiring deal because he's a restricted free agent after his after his rookie deal has has ended. Uh, then you've got uh, Frank Kaminsky who has a team option for next year. So his is expiring as well. And even Sheck Diallo um, is a one year uh, with a team option after that. So there's, there's zero guaranteed money for the 2021 season at power forward for the Suns. A lot of flexibility, even Aaron Baines, even Aaron Baines as the backup center has only a one year deal. So definitely I think Greg is right. The Suns are setting themselves up for one of two options, either uh, these guys work out and they keep them for a couple of years until the 2021 offseason where they have um, more than cap, more than max cap space. Or uh, they are have set themselves up for um, acquiring any players they want, any power forward they want for the next two years uh, at, in a trade. And they can give back in a trade a starting caliber power forward in Darius Arch. I wonder if you look at the free agency list for next year and – Again, pure speculation, nothing behind this, but the one big name is Draymond Green, who's a power forward. I wonder if they if they look at that and go, maybe if we make enough of an improvement, we'll make a run at him as the long-term option. Uh, it's just interesting to me that that's the spot where uh, where you have the flexibility and you're, you have money next offseason, and that's the only major name there. So. Uh, Jim Rose, uh, one of my favorite listeners, he says, where are the players now who is in Phoenix working out? And I can answer this a little bit. Uh, we've all seen a ton of videos of all the players have gotten together for the yearly pickup games and uh, watching Devin Booker on there has been really awesome. And having watched a ton of tape of Devin Booker playing in these games, it is safe to say that his defensive philosophy has not changed at all. 
<laughs> oh, come on. In the pickup games in the summer, nobody's defensive philosophy no, is different than it's Devin real Booker's. bad. It's not just Booker. <laughs> I'm like watching these games and uh, <laughs> like you guys play pickup. I, I don't think I've ever seen defense as bad as it is in these games. I mean, it looks like an all-star game out there. Yeah, well, these are these dudes are just having fun. So, no, there's obviously he's not going to improve his defensive instincts playing pickup with other NBA stars over the summer. So the question Jim had is, what are the players doing over the summer? This is the part of the summer they go off and do their own thing. Some of them go work out with other friends of theirs, friend NBA players like Devin Booker, for example, is out playing with other guys. Um, Mikkel Bridges is going to be going to the USA Select camp, but he's been around Phoenix all summer until now. And the rest of the guys are just kind of dispersing for the next month or so. They'll be back in the gym almost full time by the end of August. And they've been going for the last 11 months. So um, this is about the time of the year that they, they're off doing their own thing, uh, doing their trips with their families and things like that. So don't expect to hear anything about tons of Suns players working out together for uh, getting ready for next season until we get around late August. Yeah, once once you cross over Labor Day, that's when the serious uh... – team pickup games at the arena start to take place and yeah. and you really see all these guys come back to Phoenix uh Dave I don't know who has been there uh you know May June uh, I haven't I haven't talked to a lot of my guys out there to, to on this specific question so I'm not sure but usually it hasn't been a big a thing but you know what the no storylines have been coming out of Talking Stick Resort Arena for the whole summer, the, the team used to leak a lot of that where the team would intentionally say, hey, we got eight or ten guys playing pickup every day with each other. Um, that hasn't happened this summer at all. And that's just because the Suns have decided that that's not important. What's important is that they're together when it counts and they win more games next year. Um, all these optics about youth and potential and liking each other, playing together, working out together hasn't gotten the Suns anywhere the past few years. So why, why repeat it? Um, Wait, there's, then, no, there's no yoga trip to San Diego that happened. And that is, doesn't actually win you a bunch of games, even if there is surprise, we were all shocked to know that team yoga did not lead to winning games. So let's, let's end this on a fun one. This is from Q over on the Twitter, the, the very fun son's Twitter, who I love to partake with on any interesting conversation at any given day, hour of the day. Listen, so Q says, if the Suns had an official adult beverage, what would it be? Cyanide. Jesus. Oh my God. <laughs> that, how negative how, can you be? Formaldehyde or what? Think about the last nine years. Or if we're talking about this team, I, I feel like it's got to be a, uh, Something I feel like it's going to be a martini shaken, not stirred, because it's a it's a quite a lot of sexy uh, men, international men of mystery uh, on this team, and uh, I feel like there's very James Bond attractiveness to this team. So I would I would say uh, a martini shaken, not stirred, would be this year's uh, drink. So, uh, Dave, uh, see, I yeah, I like um, I'm more of a sunshine drink. You know, something you'd. You'd you'd uh, you'd be chilling with in the in the summer heat. So I'm going to go with a tequila sunrise. All right, I'm going to go a little bit different, uh, but closer to Dave. I'm going to go with a well house margarita because it's something that looks really good whenever you see somebody else drinking it, and then you get a bit disappointed. Oh, Come on, man! Come on! Those are all good. These are all good. Yes. So Greg wants to kill himself. 
<laughs> no, the past Tim nine years. Yes. Um, uh, uh, like he just ate something or drank something really awful. And me, I just want to get plastered. So but we're good. Drank really something really awful that looked great. You know, you thought it was like uh, ordering a fish bowl. You know, it's it, oh, yeah. one. <laughs> Half this roster can't have an adult beverage, can it? Like, are, are we finally crossed over? Oh, that man. Line where they I can't can? tell you how many times I've been, I've been, um, no chill corrected on comments like that. When I make that <laughs> comment on Twitter, oh, he's finally old enough to order a drink, Dave. You know, these people are getting drinks anytime they want to at a younger age, blah 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 blah. blah. I'm like, okay, chill. <laughs> yes, we know. We're not dumb. <laughs> They've been drinking since that probably high school days. We're on. We're aware. We were. We were. Are aware. We were there too. I yeah. even remember it. I'm shocked that Dave remembers the 1940s. It was a stone cup, but I remember. <laughs> All right. Uh, so ending this episode out again, we will be back on Wednesday, seven o'clock Arizona time. If you do want to join us for the YouTube version of the show, thank you everybody that is watching on the YouTube. I realize that it's really early Arizona time. So thank you so much for you that. Know what? This whole episode is available anytime you want. If you're listening or watching it later Saturday or Sunday or Monday or whatever, if you want to get a part of the comments section and be part of our mailbag, or YouTube bag at the end of every episode on Saturday, wake up early on Saturday. And if you're in a different time zone, bully for you, because then you're more likely to be able to get there. So we look forward to seeing all, uh, I love it when people interact with us on the YouTube live, but you can, you can obviously you can watch this anytime. Yep. Uh, and I've also been told that I'm not allowed to cuss anymore. So that's something. No, no more screaming fucking muck no, words on the show. You can just cuss less because we have people of all ages who want to who want to watch the show. Don't be don't be pissy. I'm don't not be being. I'm, not being I'm happy to change how I how I talk on this show for the two people the that are listening. With history just, in his career and his history, you should know how to talk without having to swear all the time. Look, just say McDonough because everybody acts like that's a swear word around here. So every <laughs> time you want to say the F word, say McDonough or Babby or Blanks. We'll all get what you're talking about. Or Screaming, screaming <laughs> McDonough words. Hey, hey, uh, hey, you leave Bender out of this. He's in the <laughs> NBA still, damn it. Three picks in the top 32 of the NBA draft in 2016. Only one of them is under under contract just three years later rookie contracts go four years all of them were given four-year contracts by the signs with a couple of team options on them and only one of them is still in the league and that's with a minimum non-guaranteed deal i already bought my beachfront property at lake michigan let's go bender island <laughs> hey greg when are we going to get Rhett reese back on the positive bandwagon for uh, this when they win a few games. So maybe we'll have okay, him maybe so we'll have him on in August and he can talk about the uh trailer to uh Zombieland 2 and he's he got to get his red carpet tickets. Uh, I'll get myself got, to California. Man, that's just that's just asking a lot. I would just happily to have him on the podcast. You know, I'm not greedy. So I'm greedy. Can we I'll let get Tim to California? You just got to get me in, Rhett. Can we let you hear Tim that, Rhett? I know you're watching. <laughs> yep. Okay. So uh, two things before we get out of here. One is Steve Holler here on the YouTube chat it says he loves the shirt. So yes, if you guys want to get one, go to sunsshirts.com. Uh, and there's it a bunch of really cool designs well, there. And it's very soft. Yes. It's yeah. a really good shirt, actually. 
Get him and, before we get sued by someone. Go, go, go. <laughs> and uh, I do want to thank a listener, Brian Stewart, for being a supporter of the show. And if you feel like you get a lot out of it, you do want to support the show, you can do so on the YouTube. Uh, it's in the description below on the podcast. It's in the show notes. Just hit the support the show button. You can do a $1 a month donation. It really does go a long way. So until next or this coming Wednesday, I should say at 7 o'clock, thank you so much for joining us.